And welcome to another week of podcasts on Blind Guy Talks Tech, which of course you can find out all about at blindguytalkstech.com where you can check out the latest episodes, check out our entire archive so far. You can search for your favorite episode and you can check out this week's tech news. You're listening to Blind Guy Talks Tech, your daily accessible tech podcast. Now, here's that blind guy himself, Stephen Scott. And we're going to be doing a full walkthrough of that website for you this week on the show. We were going to do it today, but you know, it's Monday and, you know, Robin's going to wait for the weekend or away for the weekend or whatever. I don't know what he's doing, but he's away anyway for a while. He's here <laughs> right now, though. Robin Christopherson, Lord of all he surveys. How are you? Hiya, you're grabbing me. Well, you can. I'm not touching you. Don't start that. <laughs> we get in trouble for that kind of nonsense around here, and that is not happening. And I would also say there's about you know 400 miles of distance, so that would say quite a lot <laughs> about my arms. Uh, Sean Priest is here. Hello, Sean Priest. Hello, Stephen Scott. Hello, Robin Christopherson. Hello. Uh, lots to talk about today on the show. Very interesting topic for you. We were going to, Sean and I were going to do the whole um, you know walk through the website. We will do that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to do that tomorrow on the podcast uh, because, wait for this, I'm going to do not one, but two demos of my own on mm. this podcast for, I think, the first time since we started. <laughs> I'm going to do a demo. Yeah, I'm not just leaving it to you guys for once. I mean, ha- how many episodes in are we now? And you're it's just doing a demo something. now. Yeah. yeah, we're nearly our 80. Do you know, we're going to be celebrating our 100th episode soon. That's crazy. That's because you decided to go seven days a week like a madman. It gets the numbers up quick, doesn't it? It makes yes. it sound good. <laughs> <laughs> We're on our 500th episode and it's only day four. Um, yeah, I'm going for the uh, Robin Christofferson method. That is what I call it. Uh, because Robin is the reason the show is five days a week. Seven days a week, actually. Um, yep. Because you're five days, right? Are you seven? Nope. <gasps> I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Huge <laughs> that and wondering why you weren't invited to be interviewed on the Echo Show. Yeah, now you know. Um... Now I know why. Yeah, <laughs> now I know why. I think I'm actually. Am I not just holding back a, a recording of the Echo Show by doing this? Yes, yes you, you are. are. Yes, <laughs> I've got the stereo. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we're that outraged by it, but we're here. We're we're putting our our own recording back just for you, Stephen. Yeah. Our priorities are in the right place, obviously. You know, people might just think, all you guys do is just record constantly. It's just like a, honestly, it's like a, a bus terminus for podcasts in here. One leaves, another one starts. Um, yeah, it's wild. But yeah, The Echo Show, brilliant podcast, huge fan, never been invited on, so I don't listen. Simple as that. Cool. Well done. And the fact that we don't interview anyone on it, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. There is yeah. a very good reason why you haven't been invited on it. Yeah. Which is, but if you do a demo of an Echo skill... Ah, see, we'll there you, on, there you go. Shot. See, there's the first problem. Look, guys, it's taken me nearly 80 episodes to do one demo for this show. So what does that tell you? Uh, but, yeah, so we're <laughs> going to do a walkthrough of the website tomorrow. I'm going to walk you through it. It's very quick, but just to kind of give you an overview, if you haven't been on it yet and you're kind of wondering where things are, most of you will find this easy as anything. You've probably already done it, and you're thinking, yeah, what's, what's it going to demo? Come on. Uh, but yeah, we are going to talk a little bit about um, the website. And I'm going to delve into the mail app on the Mac because, you know, the amount of people who... I was out uh, for lunch with a friend of mine last week, uh, Ian, who... Uh, hello, Ian. He's a big listener. Well, he's not a big listener. He's a listener. Who, <laughs> who happens to let's be Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> hello, Ian. <laughs> Sorry, Ian. Uh, well, he's a big guy. It's so funny, right, because we meet in this restaurant. And, you know, it's typical blind people meeting each other. 
I've got no idea where he is. Um, we're not going to stand screaming at each other. We could, but that feels a bit inappropriate. So the guy in the restaurant who, you know, I've been to this restaurant a few times, so I know the guy, and he's like, oh, hi, Stephen. Um, are you here You're on your own? Is your wife here? I said, no. I said, I'm meeting my friend today. All right, do you know what he looks like? I said, well, I, th- I think he's tall, um, and he's probably got grey hair. And he said, is he bald? I said, I don't know. Could be. Uh, and then, for some reason, and miraculously, he found him. But I think the guy don't give it away. So, I was going to say, how many blind people are in this restaurant, Stephen? <laughs> well, that, but the thing is, he could have been sitting think... there without a cane, right? Or, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, but, but probably yeah, he did have a someone guy, sat him down at some point and showed him to the table, <laughs> so they would have remembered. Ah, no, you see, he was brought in by the taxi yep. driver. Uh, what? And no so one that noticed. That he no, was brought in secretly. Like 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 Do you know why? <laughs> because they parked him at the the beginning like at, when you walk in the door of the restaurant there's like a waiting area where you yes. sit there before you yes. get seated right now we never go near that bit we just walk into the restaurant because we're locals we know the area and yep. we just walk in but of course i didn't realize that they would have parked him there because you wouldn't sit there unless you're just i don't know why you'd sit there to be perfectly honest but there you go so that's where he was well, that was a lovely story beautiful isn't Thank it? You. <laughs> but anyway and amongst all this <laughs> In amongst all that, um, we were talking about. Um... Oh yeah, hang on, I forgot what I was going to say. Um... Edit point. Yeah, proper one this time. In amongst all this, we were talking about the mail app, and we, he was telling me he's having real issues just getting into emails, reading them, finding the links, um, navigating around. So I thought I'm going to put together a bit of a demonstration just showing people how I do it. And I've made a few adjustments to the way I use the mail app in the past couple of days based on another demo from the brilliant Brian Fischler. I feel like I'm just promoting him all the time on that Real Blind Tech Show. But he's done a brilliant demo and he was talking mainly about Item Chooser and how you can use that. But I think there's some other things that we can add to that mix that I think might be quite useful to help you navigate mail more. So I'm going to do that demo for you on tomorrow's show. It's a little tease for you, a little tease. Very cool. I, I, I struggle with mail on the uh, Windows side, I must admit. I hate Outlook. I know everyone seems to love it that I talk to. I can't get on with it at all. I find it clunky. I find it hard to navigate. Windows Mail is just, uh, I mean, it's so inconsistent. <laughs> it crashes all the time. I can just use my phone for email all the time. Hmm. We should Sorry. have a little conflab about outlook mm. it might be nvda i don't know but it's pretty, yes there's, yeah okay fine yes no, no i don't i don't think it is in fairness I, no i think yes. it's, it's again like everything else it's keyboard <laughs> commands isn't it i mean it's just about knowing the commands and outlook i actually think has gotten a little bit easier you know with the whole shifts f6 and f6 thing moving around that that made things a bit more conf- convoluted because i in my mm. head imagine you would tab and shift tab in outlook to go from say the inbox yeah, to yeah. The, the message list, but you don't. You have to F6 and shift F6 to go back there. And that's a I have bit it weird. switched off. I don't have that sidebar with the, you know, different. That's the thing. It's all about the setup, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I think. And I don't find it easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I just do Control Y, brings up yep. a list of folders, inbox, mm. outbox, that's RSS. A, that's or a whatever. great part of Outlook, actually. Yeah, the Control mm. Y. Mm. And then move up and down. But I just still find reading the actual emails a pain. So. Yes. Oh, sorry, I took us off on a tangent. Yes, that sounds good, Stephen. I'm interested. Yeah, thank you. You see, you <laughs> see you're already interested. You're already interested. Yes. Uh, okay, so we'll get into that tomorrow. But today, uh, we want to talk about our energy use. And not just energy use, but also because we've been t- everyone's talking about energy use. Everyone's talking about ways to cut down the household bills. But is there perhaps a bigger part of this conversation we need to have around the planet? 
You know that so, that thing mm. we live on that we just continually just use all the resources of and don't really care less until, you know, something goes wrong and then we go, where's all the resources gone? Um, and that's when we're standing here with, you know, a Mars bar left and that's pretty much it. Um, all right, swampy, go on. <laughs> yeah, I'm joining Insulate Britain tomorrow, <laughs> although I will not be uh, protesting at all because that involves going outside and I'm not a fan of glue. Um, but anyway, aside all that, Robin's here to tell us this was meant to be a serious discussion and it will be, I promise you, a brilliant discussion because Robin has got facts with him. Hello. Hi. <laughs> that was a fact. Robin's Hello. like a smart speaker. Robin, give me a fact on the planet. According to Robinpedia. <laughs> I want that website. You should get that set up. Um, but look, let's be serious. I mean, the, the planet is in a bad way. Um, our pockets and our wallets are in a bad way. Um, is there a way to perhaps help both with perhaps some of our energy use at home, at home, the things we do? What should we consider um, at home that can perhaps, you know, like I say, save the environment, but also save us money? Well, this was all kicked off uh, because I was asked to uh, input into our ESG policy at AbilityNet. That's environmental, social and good governance. And the environmental bit is all about our impact as an organization on the planet. And it was really, really fascinating. So I thought I'd bring some of the kind of data points to you guys around technology use, travel um, as part of work or, you know, the choices that might we might make um, in our impersonal travel uh, arrangements and just some really interesting things about how maybe we could help save the planet if it's not too late already um Oof. and you know that just how much power do our devices use is it worth you know powering things off or you know can we leave them on standby um loads of questions around that happy to chat yeah this is the thing i mean i think a lot of people think about travel don't they they think about the impact of travel and you know what that does to the environment now let's take cost out of that for a second because if you need to go to a business meeting somewhere then how are you going to offset that carbon footprint and all of that lovely stuff, which I'll be honest, if I'm being brutally honest, I don't really understand all that. When someone said to me when I was going to Las Vegas uh, in 2020, they said, well, how are you going to offset your carbon footprint? Uh, and I said, um, <clears throat> I don't know, I'll probably just cover it with a carpet like I normally do. Um, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, what, what does that actually mean, Robin? Do, do you know? Um, so... The, it's measured in CO2, the tons of CO2 that we produce. And if you look at a mobile phone, for example, it's not just the usage, but it's also how much it costs to create that. So we could have a we could have a conversation around, you know, our how often we we replace these devices and stuff like that. But sticking with um, just usage at the moment, let's take a car, for example. Uh, the average car in the UK um, takes two grams, no, 200 grams. It creates 200 grams of CO2 for every mile driven. And this isn't to do with the cost of creating the car in the first place, use of natural resources, the energy it takes to, you know, build the car, etc. Yeah, this et is just daily usage. Yeah, so two, 200 grams per mile. So for every five miles, that's a kilogram of CO2. And you know, let's put this in perspective. Um, 
we would normally be talking tons of CO2 per year. So this is an awful lot of um, carbon that is being pumped into the atmosphere as a result of us just driving one mile, for example, a fifth of a kilogram. And we drive, well, the average commute in the UK is seven miles. So that's quite cyclable, really. Mm. And it actually takes a lot more than seven times 200 because you're sitting in traffic. Um, the optimum speed for efficiency, as we know, is around 50, 55 miles an hour. And you don't do that when you're commuting or taking an Uber or wherever it might be. So, you know, we, we're really pumping out carbon dioxide all the time. If you compare that to train travel, for example, it's 80% less per person per mile traveled on wow. a train. So that's, you know, really, really... Um, what is that down to? Is that because trains are more electric these days and therefore they don't produce the same CO2 versus cars that are, are pumping yeah, out fumes? Yeah, I mean, electricity, depending on how it's generated, is fundamentally better for the atmosphere, for the planet, than uh, gas, than petrol or diesel. Um, but it's just mass transit, isn't it? It's m multiple people being... Uh, moved yeah, by so, so the like, one. Yeah, exactly, more numbers in that one vehicle versus, yeah, four or up to four in a, in a car. Yeah, or more. But um, and the worst culprit by far is uh, air travel. So, um, but you know, you often haven't got a choice when you're getting going having to go somewhere. But one long haul flight creates the same CO two as one person's activity, normal activity for a whole year. So that kind of gives puts that in <laughs> wow, perspective. Oh, right, okay, wow. Yeah, so it's by far so the worst. So going to Las Vegas, I actually <laughs> would have been better off killing myself than going to Las Vegas. Uh, it's a bit decomposed. <laughs> Maybe you're adding carbon to the atmosphere, I don't oh, know. Oh, so even Sorry. when I'm dead, I'm, I'm not helping anybody. Right, <laughs> useful. But, but okay, so how do I offset that then? What's the offset part? So as far as offsetting, there's a whole industry where you can actually buy carbon offsets. So if you're feeling like, you know, if your conscience is pricked and you want to offset the carbon that you generate in just daily life and using your technology and traveling, etc., then you can actually buy carbon offset units and, you know, offset it that way. And what are they doing? They're planting trees, mostly. Right. So you can, yeah, absolutely, you can do it that way. Or you can make greener choices. So, you know, if you're going to go from A to B, then can you car share? Can you carpool? for work or can you, um, you know, with a friend, make sure that, you know, you're not both driving separately to a place or maybe you're both going in an Uber um, separately. Maybe you could car share, um, make greener choices. You know, can you use public transport? Can you cycle if you can see on and off to cycle? Um, or uh, we used to have a tandem, actually. That was really cool. Yeah, but this is all that. great. But Sean and I are going to Canada at the end of May. <laughs> on a tandem. Are we now going on a tandem? Right, OK. I mean, Sean, th this is pretty shocking stuff, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, these numbers, that just blows me away. Yeah, but it always does for me. Those numbers are amazing. And it's really hard for someone like me to get my head around it. The, the 200 grams per mile of CO2 and, and things like that. I don't know. It's just... It's hard to imagine what effect that has on the planet, you know? I, I don't know. For me, I've heard these numbers before, and it always seems just, I don't know, amazing. I, I don't quite understand it. It just seems too big a problem to tackle. Now, you might wonder why we're talking about this, right? It's like, okay, but what's this got to do with tech? Well, actually, technology has a big part to play in all of this as well. It's not just airplanes. It's not just trains. It's not just cars that cause this, the amount of carbon in our air and this is the interesting bit right because robin the ability net website 
you've got great stats on this. Tell people about websites and the impact that they have uh, in producing carbon. Cool. Yeah. So if you host a website, depending on how uh, well trafficked it is, how popular it is. So the AbilityNet website, for example, creates or is responsible for the generation of nearly seven tons of CO2 a year. Now, it's quite highly trafficked. I think it's about 11 million page views a month. So, you know, it's it's Oof. a pretty popular website, but nothing Just like blindguytalkstech.com. To... Yeah, <laughs> you'll catch us up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll get there. Um, nothing compared to, you know, the likes of, I don't know, picking a site at random Amazon or CNN or the BBC or something like that. Or you know, it's going to be nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's quite significant. And again, you know, you can choose a hosting provider that, um, sources its energy in a greener way. There are choices out there. As end users, as consumers, we have our ISPs, our internet service providers, and we may or may not have a lot of choice there, depending on what your requirements are. But if you can, look into their credentials as well and see if they you know, source their uh, energy ethically from renewable sources, etc. Um, so yeah, that's uh, and we, and we a expect, bit of an eye It's expecting us, I guess, to go and source that information. And these companies... I would imagine if they're doing this responsibly, they would want to be shouting about it. Yes, and I'm sure that they will have information on their website if we went to look. Uh, maybe not all of them, but you know, if they are doing something about it, then they would definitely be shouting about it, absolutely. Um, you could do a Google search to find out how green they are, but by the way, that costs energy. Now, there was a... Um, a rumour going around, or a kind of a myth, that it would cost the same as boiling a kettle to do a Google search. And if you think about it, that doesn't sound unreasonable because it's basically searching the database of the entire internet that's been indexed. So, you know, if you think it's, um, your computer takes a bit of time to chunter away and, you know, search your hard drive, imagine how much bigger that database is and how do <laughs> yeah. they do it so much quicker? But so anyway, hang on, they do. hang on, just, just to wind this back, right? So doing a basic Google search has an impact on the environment. I mean, it doesn't Absolutely. have a direct cost to us, I guess. Um, because we don't, we don't, we're not attributing the cost of the equivalent, for example, of boiling the kettle. We would often think about the cost of that in terms of you know pounds and pence. Mm -hmm. But obviously, there's a, a carbon uh, issue there as well because you're using electricity to do that. You're using power to do that, and that power has to be generated and all the rest of it. But with a Google search, you just think typing in, you know, oh, you know, do Amazon sell cat hair? Then, you know, great. Um, well I've, I've, <laughs> I've never searched for that. I promise that one you. out of the bag there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never searched for it in my life, I promise. But, you know, so you, t you type that into Google, you hit send, you think, oh, that's interesting. Then you shut the browser and walk away. You, you've effectively boiled a kettle of full of water uh, and, you know, it's had the same impact on the environment. Is that, uh, that, that is, wow. Well, that was actually a myth. It's not anything near as much as that. But if you think about it, so yeah, you're using energy with your computer being turned on for that period, you know, of, of using that, doing that Google search. You're using energy with your ISP, who's putting that command out to the internet, in this case to Google servers. And you're hitting a massively powerful server somewhere, which has done that massive internet search for you and come back with the result in about 0.36 seconds or something it's actually the same as turning on a 100 watt light bulb for 10 seconds so right, okay. okay it's not boiling a kettle but bear in mind there are over a billion web searches a day mm. so it's a lot of turning on off lights for 10 seconds up and i don't know if you've heard on the the news about server farms mm. and the 
the issues with keeping them cool, and that's because these thousands of machines in the the building or the um, whatever it is might be the container um, are thrashing their their processes and producing so much heat that they actually have to submerge some of these underwater to help with the the heat dissipation, and they are producing or you know, using so much energy and producing or being responsible for the production of so much CO2 that that's why it's, you know, the, the credentials of organisations like Google who are offering these digital services, you know, one would hope that they are seriously looking at sourcing greener energy, maybe offsetting, um, because even though it doesn't cost us anything to do a Google search, we are subject to those ads, they are learning about us, you know, there's that adage which says that if a service is free, if a product is free, then you are the product. They are gathering data about you and using that to monetize you as an individual. So, um, yeah, there is, you know, a lot of money at play here and we would hope that they would be ethical about it. Certainly Apple, turning to devices for a second, um, talk a lot about the green uh, steps that they take when they're building their devices, don't they? Recyclable mm. this, um, you know, what's the name? Liam, the device that takes apart old eye devices and takes out the rare earth metals and things like that and recycles as much as possible. So, yeah, at every stage in the kind of life cycle of technology, and certainly when we, we're using it, there's um, a lot of implications for the planet. It's that sort of thing in, in, in the background that, again, you know, I, I'm always, I don't believe it. I'm incredulous to it. But when you think of something like, um, you know, Siri or even our, the, the smart speaker that we have all in every room of our house, the amount of power behind that, those server farms that you mentioned, Robin, they're huge and they're going 24-7. And it's not just one computer in, you know, Amazon's uh, office somewhere. We're talking <laughs> a warehouse full of incredibly powerful computers running 24/7 and as you said it's not just the heat uh, it's not just the power that they that they use but the heat they generate and that needs to be cooled using more power so it's it's absolutely incredible the the, the front end of that we see in you know a Siri telling me yeah it's going to rain tomorrow is nothing but the power behind that and what's happening behind it is something that I think we we need to know more about and people just don't and even on a smaller scale, the fans in our computers are cooling and using power to be spun up to. Oh to do no, that no! I've, as well. I've got an Intel PC. That means I'm shooting carbon into the atmosphere on a regular <laughs> basis. On that ba on that uh, basis, anyway. Um, Shoot. So, should we talk about consumption of our devices? Yeah, let's, let's talk about at home because this this always fascinates people, right? How much energy use and. I guess how much environmental impact devices have on a daily basis, as you say. Mm. I guess, and I guess we're separating here. Yeah, apart from Sean. Um, no, it's <laughs> more about the money for me on this side. Well, I, yes. I, of course, the well, carbon footprint is is all important, but now the energy, the well, cost of energy is incredible. Exactly. But, the, yeah. but the, yeah, and I agree with you. But but the thing is that what I guess we're we're talking about here, and we absolutely acknowledge the the cost aspects. But what I don't think people understand is that environmental. But we talk about this at the moment. Or we are going to, we're going to talk about this from the point of view of the device being made, not being created, because that's a whole other conversation. And we we can probably imagine the amount of energy and impact on the environment that it has to create these devices, ship them around the world, so that you can have you know the mm. iPhone SE delivered to your front door, you know, on the day of launch. The amount of you know work that is involved in that process. But let's talk about daily use. 
Yeah, so the average smartphone uh, used so many hours a day. Now, the the average, obviously, you know, there's going to be way outliers on this. You know, some people will use it three times as much and others, you know, not much at all. Um, have a look at, you, you know, your screen time stats may vary. 17 kilograms of CO2 a year, which, you know, all adds up because we've all got one, if not two. <laughs> um, yes. So... Yeah, so that's um, a bit of an eye-opener. Looking at laptops, um, 44 to 88 kilograms of CO2 a year. And that's because, you know, the variety is because laptops can come in a range of different powers. Uh, mobile phones, from a consumption point of view, don't vary that much. It's just our usage that, that does. But you can get some, you know, very underpowered and some extremely, you know, highly powered laptops. So that's where the range is there. But certainly multiples of um, the power that our phones take. Now, interestingly, printers, printers take uh, two thirds as much uh, or generate two, thir two thirds as much CO2 a year as uh, the average laptop or desktop. And that's because sitting in, in standby, for whatever reason, waiting to be polled to print something, takes up quite a lot of energy. And that's all they do when you're not printing, they're sitting in standby. Now, that figure actually does include the amount of carbon generated in creating the paper that you spew out as well, on average, for a year. So that is going to be a little bit higher. So, yeah, but still, your, sit your printer sitting on your shelf or wherever it is, is taking up two thirds as much energy as your, you know, your laptop, for example. Although, so, although I do offset that with the amount of heat that I generate personally when using a printer, because you don't you find that when you use a printer, it is just it never works. Oh, it's awful, yeah. awful. Or it needs cleaning, or it could sit change there for the ink. Days, weeks. It could sit there for a year and do absolutely nothing, and you ask it to print something, and it says, "Not interested." So here's the irony then, because what what you know, if you wanted to be green, you would turn your your printer off, right, and only turn it on. And it okay, it takes a couple of minutes to boot up, but you'd only turn it on when you actually need it. Mm -hmm. The irony here is exactly what you've just said, and it's it's the same for us. Coming to actually printing every once in a while, you have to do that anyway. Yeah. You have to cycle it off and on again. So yeah. why not just turn it off in the you know weeks or days in between yep. anyway it's all do you know why because standby just it's like everything isn't it it's just become a convenience factor so the standby obviously the printer is always in standby uh but your devices so no one's suggesting that we should maybe turn our mobiles completely off overnight you know you can do that if you want but as far as Are you um, kidding laptops, i've tried switching that samsung off it is impossible bixby <laughs> is useless and you say power <laughs> off are you sure you would like to power off yes and then nothing happens. Well, try pressing a button, there's Stephen. No button. Wait, there's no buttons. There's nothing. There's no off. There is a button. There's no there's off. No, there is an off button. Wow. Well, you did the most be. No. Okay. You've got to, you've got to <laughs> tell it to go to switch off. It is ridiculous. Uh, there may be, a, I should say, just an asterisk. <laughs> there may be a way to do it. I just don't know how to do it. Sorry, Robin. Carry on. Yeah, so when you're not actually using your laptop, so those figures are based on eight hours a day, so like a working mm. laptop or working hours. Mm -hmm. um, when you're not using it, and for example, a laptop's you know closed and a desktop's just kind of powered itself down, and this does depend on your power setting preferences, um, it's around a third. So, But that um, 44 to 88 kilograms of CO2 a year 
um, assumes that that you know for the other 16 hours of the day it's going to be in kind of low power or standby mode but that drops to a third now that 44 to 88 includes that so if you actually want to make a big impact on those numbers then you really do need to turn it off because a third of the power is still quite a lot yeah um so and and as i say that's already included in that calculation so yeah it's um if you want to bring it down to the same sort of level as your mobile phone usage throughout the year then please turn them off overnight not that i do well you know i i try and do the same um, and I did for a little while because I had the uh, system preferences in the system preferences, I think under Energy Saver on the Mac, you can actually have it set to power on and power off, or in this case, power off and power on at uh, a certain time. So, for example, I would say at midnight, switch off the computer and then open it back up again at, say, 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. or whatever it was. And that would switch the whole thing off overnight. Um, that only worked, though, uh, when... You know everything was saved so if i had an audacity session open and it was asking it if it could be saved it would just ignore the shutdown and of course you'd come yeah. in in the morning and you'd say yeah yeah save it or actually no you don't need to save that and as soon as you did it it would shut the machine down <laughs> I, I do the same thing with smart plugs right hmm. so I, I tend to leave the computer running um I, I set it to standby mode i won't actually tell it to power off but i'll set it to standby mode overnight but everything else around me i will set it on a, a smart plug to turn off so monitors mixers yeah, external speakers um ne even network switches at sometimes um so you, you you gotta be careful how you set that but then again you know the smart plugs are on standby mode they're always connected to the wi-fi network they're the always Android drawing power they're drawing power as well. So <laughs> if you use too many of them, it's like, well, how much am I actually saving? How much power am I saving? But then you can get around that by using uh, you know, one smart plug on a power extension that will turn multiple um, devices off. So and as, that, as, as, yeah, as opposed to multiple smart plugs. So there are ways around it. And I suppose a smart connected home is a bit of a drain as well, isn't it? Because you've got, you know, motion sensor stuff always mm -hmm. waiting to, you know, it's a basically a, a camera running all the time. And always um, at the at behind it all is a server farm somewhere yeah. processing all the requests and, yeah, yeah. that's right. To go back to Sean's <laughs> point, though, about cost, because let's be honest about it, as Sean says, and he's right, most of us do consider this from a cost point of view rather than from an environmental point of view. So is it more cost-effective to turn off all our devices at home at night and, and do it that way rather than leaving everything on standby? That sounds like the answer is yes, but is it? Well, turning things on and off again a lot when you had the old-fashioned spinning drives, for example, there was an argument that says, you know, it, it wouldn't be cost-effective or, or, you know, energy-efficient because the boot-up process takes a lot of uh, energy. I don't think that's the case anymore with SSDs. Um, but then things are designed to be on you know, they do their backups in the overnight, uh, they get their updates, whatever it might be. So I don't know. It's it's a tricky one. It's well, a really you know, tricky one. In anticipation of doing this, I walked around the house and I, I started in the kitchen, walked through the living room, trying to get a sense of what was plugged in, you know, to think about the types of devices. So washing machine and dryer. Now, the only issue I have with those is the plugs are behind the machines. So in order to turn, to get in to turn them <laughs> off, you have to pull the whole thing out, which is not ideal. Um, there are obviously ways you could fix that. You could move the plug sockets or whatever, so that could be dealt with. Um, in terms of the fridge, the freezer, we've got, we've got a, a big chest freezer. That is always on, right? You can't turn that off. Yeah. 
Well, you can, but you'll just ruin all your food. It. No, it's yeah. a bad idea. <laughs> uh, fridge you can't turn off. Um, cooker, you could. We used to do that all the time in our old flash. We'd always turn our cooker off at night. Some people don't like doing that. And you know the real... I bet if you asked people why they don't like switching it off, I bet it's got nothing to do with energy or cost. I think it's to do with the fact they've got to reset the clock on the yeah. front. <laughs> ah, that would be the only reason for us. Not for yes. us, but for I think for a lot of people, that's the reason why they... My mum used to go spare if someone turned the microwave off because then she, my dad would have to reset the clock on the microwave. Yeah. Why set the clock? Who is... Anyway... <laughs> I mean, there's loads of hacks that you can do well. There's lots of sensible things that you can do to try and reduce your energy consumption um, and the bills, because that's, you know, as we alluded to earlier, really hitting a lot of us hard um, because of the number of reasons that are going on at the moment, mm. number of world factors. Um, government have said, you know, try and turn your heating down by one degree to save energy. Yeah, government, Limit you first. Yeah, limit your showers to four minutes um, to try and save. That's um, crazy. Yeah, mm. electricity or gas, depending on how it's powered, and water, of course. If you've got old-fashioned cisterns that have got much more capacity than modern ones, uh, probably if you've got one of those lever flushes, then you've probably got one of the old-fashioned cisterns that has a massive, ridiculous amount of capacity. You can buy these or get sent uh, free of charge these things called hippos which are basically like a plastic kind of container that you put inside that, that basically reduces the capacity so it flushes a lot less and it does still work. Although, you know, if you're in a completely blind household, for example, you kind of want to be sure, don't you, that it's, yes. all, that it's yeah, done its job. Yeah, absolutely, um, So there's lots of things that you can do there. Um, it's a good point, though. It's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, well done. things like food, food prices are going up massively. Now, from our point of view... Um, you know, we've all, we all like what we like, but if you're talking about saving the planet, then meat takes uh, 50, uh, meat generation or kind of production here in the UK is responsible for 50% of the food production output of CO2. That's just it's Sean. That's just for Sean's massively takeaways. Yeah. Nothing inefficient. wrong with that. So, and it also only gives us on average 20% of our weekly calories so if you wanted to kind of go more uh, you know friendly to the planet then you could try to reduce your meat input and obviously that that's got health benefits as well but the average Allegedly. family in the uk <laughs> wastes a fifth of their food this is edible food this isn't kind of like peelings and stuff like that no that's definitely true yeah, yeah I, we waste so much and obviously that'll vary we we actually don't we yeah, of course you eat everything. You eat your grass cuttings. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, so, Judith's really good like that. But, I mean, get in here, we'll cook it. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, I say that, you know, we have to change that little green um, thing that's in our pull-out drawer in the kitchen every couple of weeks or so. Mostly, actually, it's coffee grounds. Um, but mm. And paper filters. I mean, that, you know, the way we like coffee goes through a lot of paper. But anyway, so... Don't, um, yeah, don't even mention you... the pods I use with my Tassimo. Oh, <laughs> terribly, yeah. terribly. I mean, I, I don't know how they can even still make that in the way they do. <laughs> so if we can reduce our wastage, so a fifth of the food that we, that we buy, if we can reduce that by a, just a bit, then obviously that's going to mean that we have to buy less and hence our... You know, food bills will be less, but also that food won't have to be produced in the first place and then just thrown away. Um, you know, the overall uh, 
re a demand in the UK will will go down because people will be wasting less. Obviously, that doesn't kind of just apply to us doing our thing, but we have to buy. You know, we need to buy less then. But um, yeah, overproduction and people just throwing stuff away is definitely a massive factor. Um, in Can I just say, when it comes to chocolate and crisps in my house? No Nothing waste. is thrown away. There is no waste. We uh, listen, if I could the eat packet. the packet, I would. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's that as well. Um, very briefly on home versus office working as well, because this was part of what I had to do. Well, yeah, and just to kind of lead into that a little bit, because I think, you know, one of the things we talked about at the beginning was travel and cost and environmental impact. And one thing the pandemic taught us all was that we don't necessarily need to be travelling to big events. We don't need to be... I mean, I went to, as I said, CES in Vegas. That's a long travel, long trip, very expensive, hugely uh, impactful on the environment and all of that stuff. You know, and, and then the year later, we did it virtually, and I had a much better time at the event. Now, unfortunately, yeah. that's not how the rest of the world sees it. They want to get back to in-person events. They want to be doing more in-person events because I do understand it. I, I get the value in meeting people and actually speaking to people, making connections you would never make perhaps over Zoom. I get that from a networking perspective. But at the same token, I think there's ways. I mean, for example, I think about a businessman. I used to, when I used to work for the RNIB, I used to travel down to London quite a lot and, and get on the early Glasgow flight down there. And I remember the, all these businessmen that were just going and I kept thinking, what, what do you, what are you doing down there? You couldn't just do at home. But of course, that wasn't the way the world worked then. You know, we're talking twenty sixteen, seventeen. People weren't thinking like that. And the idea of just sitting at home and working was just seen as lazy by the bosses, or a, or a skive. You know, whereas now I think things have changed. Certainly, workplaces have realised the benefits of it. And this is kind of part of this research you've been doing, which is looking into the impacts of. And the differences of having, say, for example, uh, someone work in an office versus working in a home office and all the environmental impacts and the costs that that brings. Absolutely. So just on the travel one for a second. So I did the last three years of calculations and back in 2019, we had our usual two big face-to-face -face events at AbilityNet. We've got TechShare Pro and uh, the Tech for Good Awards and both had several hundred, 500 plus in the case of TechShare Pro, um, people travelling to a venue and uh, staying overnight, three nights in the case of TechShare Pro. And um, there is a discussion to be had around who should kind of own the carbon of people travelling and accommodation and that sort of thing, you know, would it come under the uh, ownership of the people who, you know, the, the companies that they, those people worked for, or would it, should it be, should AbilityNet be responsible for that? And we decided that it's us because we're making, you know, we're the cause of that travel and hotel usage and um, eating out and stuff like that. So we added those two together and it was equivalent uh, minus a few tons, around 80 tons worth of uh, CO2, equivalent to the whole year's output of AbilityNet's entire organisation. So, yeah, face-to-face. -face For just one event? The, yeah, those two oh, events, TechShare Pro and, right. yeah. But, um, so, yeah, we were virtual for the last couple of years and we're going to go for a hybrid model that is far kind of a lighter face-to-face uh, -face element going forward. And I think, yeah, like you say, that's kind of going to be the flavour going forward. But um, absolutely, as far as home versus office, um, that's a really interesting one the amount of energy that it takes for me to work at home which i have done for many years now across you know averaged over a year is twice as much as if i was in a communal office 
um, because, you know, we're sharing resources and heating and stuff like that in an office. So on average, it's much worse for me to work at home from a green point of view and certainly from my bill's point of view. Yeah, but hang on. OK, so I've, I've heard this argument before and I often wonder about this because, I th- you know, I remember when we moved to uh, working from home at RNIB when we had to uh, because of the pandemic. And I remember people saying, well, you know, surely it's more cost efficient to have people work at home because they're in smaller homes. You know, they're heating their homes. They're using electricity in their homes. That surely can't add up to more than the cost of a big building, you know, that has a huge heating system in it that's, you know, obviously, you know, toilets flushing all the time, kitchens, kettles, you know, computers running all the time, lots and lots of them. Surely it can't add up to more than that. It's much more nuanced, like you say, because, you know, what's happening at home when you're at work? Have you left your heating on like you would have been there? Are there other people in the house that are still using resources that if you had been at home, you'd be sharing? Because you know it would ha- the heating would have to be on and the you know um, they would have cooked a meal anyway that sort of thing so it's far far more nuanced like you say but this is per person on average in a you know efficient office and there are you know levels of efficiency and part of the e part of what we're doing at AbilityNet the corporate strategy is to look for office spaces that are BREEAM compliant B R E M which means that they are energy efficient they try to source green sources of you know energy providers etc so absolutely also if everybody say 90% of the workforce is working from home are you still you know heating those offices are all those desks empty but all the lights are on all the computers are on standby or or fully on you know so it's absolutely much more nuanced than that but also I said across a year but if you actually look at it and break it down, it's far more energy efficient to be um, at home and have offices closed during the summer when you haven't got heating on. So if all your employees worked from home during those months that you didn't need to operate an office or have your heating on at home, that's by far the best way because the commutes and the, you know, heating that office, etc. During winter months, that's when the average swings back completely the other way and the commutes that are involved get cancelled out by the fact that everyone's coming together in a single office where you're sharing those resource, you know, that impact. So it's, yeah, much more complicated than that. Mm. But at home, if we can, um, you know, take some steps to reducing our footprint, because at AbilityNet, we don't get a home working uh, incentive or, you know, remuneration or anything like that. We and do get a little bit towards... Yeah, no, I don't know. But we we get actually a, um, a certain amount each month towards that contributes to broadband. Um, but apart from that, because you need to have decent broadband, you know. So, uh, but yeah, really. How are you going to watch Netflix, really... you know, while you're on the Teams meeting, right? You need... <laughs> <laughs> and technology, I mean, this is all about technology, or we've kind of uh, covered up quite a bit on technology yeah, yeah. as well as just kind of the green issues. But going forward, you know, this hybrid working, and minimising travel, I think, will have a very significant impact. Like you said, you know, it's just so much more efficient to meet virtually or to only have those people that are local. Um, stay local is obviously a really big kind of buzzword. Um, absolutely try and uh, create events that will only, you know, minimise the impact on travel and that sort of thing. Um, I think technology in, in the form of AI and driverless vehicles in the future will help because, you know, car ownership is a massively ungreen thing. You know, we've got a car, 
all of the energy that went into creating that car. It takes up space, so there's you know congestion issues and people having to drive around much more to try and find a parking space because all these cars are on, on the sides of the streets. That's got an impact on CO2 generation. And it, we only use it on average 5% of the time. So 95% of the time, you've got a car that's sitting there, not being used, taking up space, causing other cars to have to drive further, depreciating in value, and eventually, you know, you'll have to replace the whole thing. So in future, I think car ownership is going to be seen as quite anachronistic and, you know, really a no-brainer not to not to own a car, a bit like a lot of people in big cities do at the moment. You know, you would Uber it. Uh, at the moment, Uber and Lyft and things like that pretty much equals, you know, you getting into a private car with a driver. And that's kind of the least efficient way of, of using that. Still much more efficient than owning a car yourself. Um, but I think in the future, you know, with driverless vehicles and that sort of thing, think how many cars there are on the streets at the moment. It won't necessarily be 20, um, a 20th, you know, only 5% of those because, you know, they're fully utilised and hence you know, they'll have 100% usage rather than 5% in private usage. But, but there will be an awful lot of cars on the streets. And I'm thinking they'll be of all different shapes and sizes. So, you know, there'll be tiny little one-people pods. There'll be various types of kind of minibuses right up to bigger, you know, vehicles and things, multi-purpose, multi-people. And because there's so many and the software is so clever, you know, there'll be something for everyone. If you really can't stand to be sitting next to someone, then you can just get one of the little pod ones. That's Obviously, what I want. I want, the the I want the one single pod. And I want... <laughs> well, never it will be a, a tiny little pod, pod so <laughs> it'll be a lot greener than a big car. But You're stuffed in it. Okay, like all right, a, a two-person pod, but I <laughs> want it you. for myself. Yes, that's more like it. <laughs> and you want it sanitised in between Jenny's. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to get in there and smell, you know, someone else's chips. But if you want something that's like a... 20th of the price and you want to squeeze in with a bunch of sweaty bodies in a much bigger vehicle nope. I think that you'll actually still go door to door which is the main thing that we want isn't it um, because there'll be so many and the algorithms will be so clever at pl plotting the routes planning the routes of all these different people with different mm. starting and end points yeah I mean you think about workplaces right? work, workplace shuttles you know that kind of thing so if everyone in a town chair, works in yeah. the same place the thing can just come and get you, right? And and it just takes you and gets everyone else. And yeah, and it'll be you're also not going to be caught up in. I remember this this great story about the the traffic jams and how traffic jams of today will disappear because all these vehicles will work on plotted routes and they will all yeah. be able to travel. They won't even have to travel as fast either, which means that you know the amount of accidents will pretty much reduce to well, not nothing, I imagine, but you know they will be considerably less. Which let's remember is the real reason why companies and the government are pushing for driverless vehicles to exist because of road safety. You know, and, mm -hmm. and this is very pertinent to blind people because we put our lives in the hands of other people every single day. When I get in a car, if I get in a taxi and it's an old guy, you know, his hearing's not great. I'm hoping, just... I'm hoping his sight's okay. <laughs> I, I can point to specific people if you want. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've had these drivers, we all have, and, you know, it, we're putting our lives in their hands. And, you know, I don't want... I'm, and I know people say, well, would you really would rather put your hands in the... You know, put your your fate in the hands of Windows 98 or whatever. But I, I, I just... I don't know. I, I think I'd rather be in a position where the technology is, 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 you know, obviously tested and, you know, checked out and all the rest of it, and I don't doubt it will be. 
But I think I would have more faith in that than I would in human behaviour because, let's be honest, the, the, the stats on road safety speak for themselves. And I think when we see, you know, these things in action and they're everywhere and, you know, people become very familiar with, you know, even if they're very reticent themselves, you know, their friends, neighbours, family, etc., have, you know, taken the plunge and haven't have lived to tell the tale. And seeing the news headlines about how, yeah, deaths on the roads have, you know, and accidents have come way down, it's inevitable that hopefully they'll, you know, come round to the to uh, their use and kind of feel confident about it. But yeah, I think congestion, like you say, will be a thing of the past. Mm -hmm. But this um, is the future, people. This is, yeah. the, we're talking 50 years in the future, at least. This, no, this I don't isn't know if it's no, as far away yeah, as that. Well, maybe not. Okay, but to, to, <laughs> to a society changing level, like you're talking about, where, you know, car ownership is a thing of the past and we just hail, a, a, you know, one of the self-driving fleets mm -hmm. of uh, cars from wherever, or a pod. That's so far in the future. I mean, at that point, you know, maybe we've got fusion uh, energy production sorted mm. out. So, you know, we got more clean energy anyway, and we've got technology which can eat the carbon in the air. So this is all in the future. But talking about right now, I mean, it is just <laughs> maybe these energy price increases are a good thing because people are starting to think about, okay, as I said, I'm thinking about it from how much it's costing me rather than how much it's costing the planet. Yes, yeah. But at the same time, because I'm thinking like that, I'm actually taking it seriously now. And maybe, maybe I'm a terrible person, but I think that's how most people will, will, we all do. will view this. That's, that's how it works, right? It, it, once it hits you in the pocket, you know, you start considering Now I it. care. Yeah. yeah. And life's complicated because, yes, gas and coal and oil are very polluting and the least of green of all sources. But there's only so many wind turbines that you can make, that you can build, wind farms. And um, obviously, you know, on the news now, they're talking about bringing, you know, more nuclear power stations online because of the whole situation. So, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't sound ideal from a planet-saving point of view. So, yeah, it's complicated. It is cleaner energy, though. That's the difference. I mean, yeah. yes, granted, once... It's just the after. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but the thing is, you know, if it blows up, then, you know, that's not great. Um, but that happens, what, one in a hundred years or something? So, you it's know... It's more about yeah, the but... million years that you have to safely store the... Yeah, the waste. The, the waste from the production. <laughs> the actual production itself is clean, but what do you yeah. do with the radioactive waste? That's, that's the thing. underground, it'll be fine. Um, but, but here's the thing. <laughs> well done, Stephen Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Solve the energy crisis. I could be in the Conservative government with these attitudes. Um, I heard someone on the radio quipping the other day that, um, yeah, you know, all you need to do is find a geologic, geologically very sound, you know, crevice, a hundred you know miles down to store these in and uh oh by the way you know they're looking at um re uh allowing fracking which what does that do it disturbs the uh geological yeah that's, that's, not, yeah. that's <laughs> so, one thing yeah. fracking is is not a good idea <laughs> i will say though i think that you know these guys that build the spaceships and and you know elon musk and uh who's the other one jeff bezos and the rockets and all the rest of it why don't they just build now this is just an idea right just a thought this is my kind of you know Friday night idea on solving this crisis. I if you say fly the waste into the sun, I'm leaving. Uh, well, it's not a million miles um, <laughs> on the moon. Why couldn't they just build a big pipe that goes right up to the sky, right? A big machine or whatever, a big building, and there's a big building somewhere, and then they have a pipe that goes right up to the sky, right out to the atmosphere, and then they just funnel all this stuff and just go, off it goes. Depends if you want any satellites. 
because they wouldn't mix nicely <laughs> together. Oh, can we talk about space elevators? It's one of my favourite things. Oh, okay. Listen, we're, we're eating into your echo show time, so you, yep. you, uh, you talk as much as you want. Space <laughs> elevators. Hang on, I thought my idea was crazy, Robin. What's yours? <laughs> okay, how many of us have swung a conker around on a piece of string? Uh, well, as a yes. child, yes. Or something equivalent. Well... I did it once with a guide do? dog. I went into a shop, swung a guide dog around my head. The guy said, what are you doing? I said, just having a look round. Oh, that is so bad. A seeing eye dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> so all you need is a cable, a very long cable, and admittedly um, with such tensile properties that we haven't quite yet developed, so that's why they don't exist yet, but, you know, we'll get there with diamond-embedded um, carbonite or something. Um, and on the top, you've got a little space station or something to that effect, a weight, and... It will stay taut up there, 15 miles up at the edge of space, um, because we're spinning and it has mass. And then oh. that taut cable is your elevator. Uh, you just run lifts up and down it. And if you had two you know, pairs of lifts, one going up and one going down, then that would hardly take any energy at all. And then once you're in low Earth orbit like that, you can, you know, space travel is a lot cheaper because it's just getting out of the Earth's gravity well that takes these great big Falcon rockets and stuff. Yeah, so, but, but the um, question yeah, I have is, a little space station. would there be an Apple store up there? Because, frankly, otherwise... And it would need to be McDonald's, uh, or at least a KFC. I mean, you know, you got to think <laughs> It would be through, Apple Robin. rockets that you'd take off from there to the moon and, and Yeah, but Mars this is all stuff. good, but if there's nothing up there, why am I going? Oh, there will be, because space travel will be cheap then. You'll be able to populate all well, different kinds of places. To, I didn't go to Glasgow High Street anymore because they've shut down M&S. So, you know, yeah. it's like, well, I'm, I'm not, not leaving the shed. I'm not, exactly. Well, OK, coming back to our green discussion, it depends how well we do in saving the planet, guys. It might uh, look no, no, very see, attractive. This, uh, see, this, is a pro this is what drives me insane. We all talk about, you know, th this thing now about Mars. Well, maybe Mars, maybe we'll go to Mars and we'll solve the problems by just, you know, going colonising that. Yeah, do you know what? Let's not create Earth 2. Let's just fix the one we've got. Can we just do that? Okay. Can we fix right. the one we've got first before we start building any other ones? I just Please. love this idea. We trash this one and we move on. It's the way I treat my iPhones. <laughs> the, the film wasn't very um, blind friendly because I think the first 45 minutes had no dialogue in it whatsoever. Yes. But Wally, Favorite yeah, let's film. not do that. No, let's, let's not, not do, do that. let's not do Wally. Although it yeah. wasn't the worst idea because, you know, essentially the robots cleaned the place up and we came back. Right, so, can, I, can I just bring this back down to Earth for just one second? Because I want to say something. Now, look. How dare you? It would, make a sorry, <laughs> it would make a difference if we could easily monitor our energy usage, right? And I'm still so annoyed. I'm infuriated by the um, energy company's lack of information when it comes to smart meters. Uh, accessible smart meters. We've been dealing with this for years now, and still every day on these Facebook groups and everywhere, I see people asking, well, my um, energy company say they don't exist, you know, and they know that you can't have one, they don't exist. And then you'll get someone else with the same energy company saying, well, I've got one, I've got a talking accessible smart meter. The, the energy companies themselves are so bad at knowing they have these accessible smart meters. They are available. Me. Same thing with me. My wife called up to, to you know to check in where we were with the, everything, and they suggested because we'd been putting it off. They said, "Okay, it's time to get a smart meter," and we said, uh, "Okay, fine." And I said, "Did you ask about the accessible?" And she said, "I did." Um, and they said, "Oh, well, don't know anything about that. I have to ask the engineer." Exactly. Oh, I have great. a confession. Yes. A couple of um, 
weeks ago, we had both our meters changed because our energy provider disappeared in the consolidation. So we moved over to Shell and yeah, they came, they changed both meters. I didn't even ask about an accessible meter, but <gasps> it's the heads up. It's not the heads up display. It's the, um, what do they call it? The, the in-home display or something. Display, the, in-home yeah, display. Yeah, it's not it's the a actual, little box. The, yeah, because people get mixed yeah. up with the bit that connects to the, um, to, to, to the whatever it connects to. And then the yeah, actual display that connects radio. to that. But yeah, yeah, so basically the two meters, one in the cupboard and one under the stairs, aren't the smart bit the, well they are i guess but they don't that's not the accessible no factor it's this box and that's the bit that i guess would be the talking version i didn't ask for that but in the instructions it says um or you can use the app and my confession is that i haven't even installed the app yet so i, I can't tell you whether it's accessible or not i don't know whether that would be a shell app robin what's the matter or whether with that you? would be a kind of a industry standard Coming soon uh, in home on display. Talks Tech. <laughs> Does Robin version. get his app working? <laughs> Is it accessible? But you're absolutely right, um, Sean, that if you can have, if you can monitor your usage and you see every time you put on the kettle, oh, blimey, that costs 12p. Yep. Or 50p now, as it would be probably. Um, yeah. Or, you know, that might make you much more aware. Cool, it might, does. You might it turn everything be. off overnight, come back in the morning and see, okay. I used half as much energy last night as I did every other night before then. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, but what, what, what's happened here, what this energy crisis has done is give people with nothing to do something to do. <laughs> OK, fair enough. That was a depressing point to come back on. Well done, Stephen. <laughs> Expect emails. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, right? I mean, I, I agree. I think that we need to monitor this. We need to be able to do it accessibly. We'll follow this up because, look, I, I, I'm going to follow this up actually in a couple of days with RNIB on this because I know I know the very man to speak to. Uh, he's been dealing with this and I know he hangs his head in frustration uh, every single time um, when these situations come up, when these conversations come up, when companies just ignore the fact um, that they have these smart meters, they, they're yep. accessible in home displays. They do have them. I think it's a lot of it is to do with the, what we're asking for that tends to confuse, I think, but... It really shouldn't matter. This is not. This should not be difficult. And they should know. The agents they should, should know. know. Yeah. The the uh, the head office always knows about it, and the spokesman for the company always says, "Yes, yes, of course, we're very interested in it." But it's the frontline staff, the customer service staff that we talk to, who have no idea, and that's because of a lack of training. From you know, the, the, company the problem itself. is, the problem is that, and I hate to say this because it sounds so defeatist, but I think you you get to a point where you realise where you sit in the world, right, and. Blind people just are not up there on any level. They're so you. low on the list of priorities with everything. One thing I'm not sure about is if the chap who came and put in those two meters and gave me the in-home display is from Shell. So I've got a feeling that the smart meters and the in-home displays are kind of an industry thing. So maybe whoever your energy provider is that you call up don't know because... It's kind of outsourced. No. Yes, they, but no, even they then. Know. They, they, they should know. know. That's yeah, the point. Totally. Yeah, they totally. should absolutely know. Yeah. About the... But I don't think it's their product. It should be part of the training for these fitters. I see lots of adverts. Well, actually, it was last year. Lots of adverts for, we, we need smart meters fitting. Can you, you know, they're, they're employing these people. And that should be part of the training that there is an accessible version of that. And it's yep. just not being, it's forgotten about. It's terrible. Speaking of things that have been forgotten about, clearly your episode of the Echo Show, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> and, and secondly, um, what about, uh, and I just want to put this point to you, uh, Robin, this question to you to, to finish up. Uh, what is the carbon footprint of Sean's shed? 
Um, I would say it's Today. very svelte. Yes. It's very lean. Well done. Because I like it. Uh, I'm trying to think about a justification for that now. Um, <laughs> because he produces a lot of hot. No, um, he does. Uh, a lot of hot air produced in there. Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't need any heating, put it that way. That's well, true. yeah, yes. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. Um, I'm really glad we opened the week with this one because it gets a lot of people thinking, look, we're not really doing this to say, hey, you should do this or you should do that. It's just putting the information out there because, you know, I think the, the one the thing that really swung it for me when we were talking about doing this was, you know, the whole thing about the Google search. That just blew my mind. Because you just don't think about these things. You don't think about these individual things we do that impact the world around us. We, I mean, no one. I don't think anybody listening would have figured that one out. Um, so that hundred watt light bulb um, for ten seconds. Absolutely. I want. That's just made me realise one thing that we should flag, which is that um, hundred watt light bulbs, the old tungsten type, mm. obviously take a hundred watts um, each. You know, for each second that they're turned on, an equivalent LED six watts so it yes. gives you the same brighten brightness in effect 100 watt equivalent six watts much better guys, light as well you can and yep. they last forever and we know that tungsten ones pop after a while not I've the bowl, not I the bought, glass but the i bought <laughs> i started him off i bought <laughs> Phil, i think it was phillips um lights not smart ones just regular um gu10s you know the spotlight bulbs it's just what i was gonna say yeah and I got them for the flat we were in before we moved here. Now, we moved here in 2014, right? And we bought those and installed them in the flat in, I think, 2012, 2013. We brought them with us. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have normally done you that. take the light bulbs Well, you know what I'm like, I am so throwaway, but I even brought the bulbs with me because I thought those are really good bulbs. So I brought them with me. We installed them, and they are still working today. They last forever. Nine we won't talk about on. the energy that the hub uses, but yep. And that's the... These aren't smart, though. These aren't smart. These oh. are just regular bulbs. But okay. these nine years have been going, and that's in the kitchen. So it's not like they've been in a cupboard somewhere under the oh, stairs. Yeah, but are, th are these LEDs? They're LEDs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, li that's they the literally point. last forever. Yeah, I just swapped all the ones out in the kitchen, and, you know, there are these inset spotlights in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There must be 12 of them in there. And uh, the LEDs are just, they're so much brighter as well. They're really cool. And if you speak to someone about, and, and you know, I, I do recommend this, there are lots of, um, you, your social work can help with this as well. In the UK, you could say, you call up social work and someone can come out and advise you on, on lighting if you've got low vision, especially if you have low vision. Um, the smart lights are good because they give you options. So for example, my wife likes it really bright, whereas I like it really dark. So you can have settings for each individual. So. It's the house is set for her when she wants to, to do what she's doing. And then I, if I go into the kitchen and I want to do something, I can change the light temperature. Um, I can't at the moment because they're not smart, but, you know, I will yes. get there because they're all under this desk, all this smart. <laughs> I just have to do it. I've got to make the switch. But, you know, again, I'm like, I, I don't, I, I'm not putting them everywhere. There's certain parts of the house, like bathrooms and stuff. I'm not putting them in there. I'm just going to take those existing bulbs and just sort of farm them out around the house where other bulbs are going. I'm not replacing them unless they need to be, but... You know, we still have, for example, I think in the bathroom, we've still got the, the old old style GU10s, um, which I think, are, are, I don't know what they are, but is it halogen? Would they be halogen? Yeah, some expensive yeah, ones. Yeah. Uh, those are quite expensive to run. So we're going to replace those with ones from the kitchen and then blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that'll that'll farm them out. We're not throwing anything away. But um, it's just it's just really interesting when you dig into all this stuff and then the smart stuff. Maybe, maybe what I should do 
is I should chart my smart home building process. And then we can, you know, show some of that here on the show. You should, uh, yes, you should monitor your, your energy uh, consumption before difference? and after. Yeah. 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 If I had a smart, accessible meter, I, I absolutely <sighs> would. Oh, dear. It's okay. always something, cool. isn't it? Uh, listen, that's it from us today. Thank you so much. Sean and I are back with you tomorrow. Robin, have a great week. Have a wonderful time Thank off. You. And uh, we will will not ha- will not have you on the weekend edition, sadly, at this Sorry. time for this week. Yeah, well, it's all right. You'll make up for it the week after. Uh, but we will, of course, be back with the weekend edition with Sean and the team. Uh, but ahead of that, of course, a whole, a whole week, a whole week. That one was a whole Scottish week, game, a very Scottish one. <laughs> a whole week of great content coming your way. Check it all out at blindguytalkstech.com and on Twitter at blindguytech. If you want even more blind guy in your life, visit blindguytalkstech.com for previous episodes. Find us on your podcast apps or ask Lady A or Lady G to play Blind Guy Talks Tech Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow.